Hey there, and welcome to another episode of the Superpath Podcast. I'm Jimmy Daly, your host. Just a quick side note, I'm working on a new name. I feel like Superpath Podcast isn't really cutting it, but I'll have more details on that shortly. Today, I'm talking to my friend, Ricky Ribeiro. Ricky is a veteran content marketer. He's been doing this for 13 or 14 years. He's now the VP of Creative at Manifest, which is a big digital agency with offices in New York, Chicago, Phoenix, and DC. He has a ton of really interesting insight on lessons he's learned on his own career and how he's thinking about his career going forward. He's actually just starting an MBA program, which we get into. It's a really interesting conversation. and I think you'll enjoy it. One just quick thing I will leave you with is the content career growth Slack community is bustling these days. We have about 1400 people there. Would love to have you join us. Just go to superpath.co and get more details on that. Enjoy this episode and talk to you soon. All right, so this week I'm here with my friend Ricky Ribeiro, aka Ricktagious. It's been a while, Rick. How are you? Uh, I'm great, Jimmy. Good to see you. It's been, like you said, it's been what at least four or five years, right? It's been a while. Yeah, I guess last time, I guess last time we connected, we got lunch together in DC. At some point, we had worked together, then I had left. But then, anyways, we'll get into all of that good stuff. So, just as context, Ricky and I worked together at. TMG Custom Media, and which was a custom publishing, content marketing agency. Gosh, this is like 2012 to 2014, roughly, that we worked together. Yep. That agency went on to become McMurray TMG and now Manifest. You've been there through a couple different changes and are now VP of Creative, which is amazing. Yes. So I'd love to hear, maybe we can start just like, what are you doing now? Like, what is your... What is your job now? Yeah, thank you. It's always like weird to look back and think, wow, it's been that much time that has passed. But uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I have been with what is now called Manifest, which is a content marketing agency. I've been there for about 10 years. I started at the end of November 2010. I came on board as the first online content manager for... Oh, you were the very first online one. I was for the agency's biggest account, which was, well, one of actually one of the agency's biggest account, which was and is now still an account we we have and that I run, um, CDW, which is a B2B technology solutions and services provider. Eventually, as you mentioned, we added you to the team. You became the second online content manager at the agency. And (laughs) my, my purview and my role was really helping what was largely a print organization get digital chops and build an audience through digital content. So that was my first task, if you will, my first goal. And I think, you know, with you coming on board, we did that, I would say, very effectively from 2010 to about 2014. In 2014, we embarked on some major redesigns. Some That included like a redesign on the web and in print. And then we started introducing increasingly more complex things to the program, such as paid media, integrating SEO and performance marketing into our business and our program. So today, as head of all creative for the CDW account at at Manifest, my role entails creative direction, creative oversight. It also involves account leadership. And so that involves leaning more into the business and managing the account as a business and not just managing the creative output. That's so interesting. Two things. One is, I remember when I came to TMG, I was fascinated by 
at that time, the 30 or so year history of the company doing custom publishing, which I thought content marketing was like this, this new cool thing. Turns out it, it's been done for a long time in different formats. Yep. And there was so much to learn from all these veteran people who had been doing it, just doing it on paper instead of on the web. Yep. And I found that to be so interesting. Other thing is it's hard to understate how big and complex the CDW account is. I mean, when I joined, we were probably eight or nine full-time people dedicated to that account, plus a pool of resources for design and copy editing and all these other things to make that machine run. I assume now it's probably larger. It is. As you've added new services to it and more complex. And it's amazing. It's like content is kind of at the center of it. But like, as you mentioned, you're managing an entire business basically. Right. That's so crazy. I don't know if you're able to talk about that, but like how big is that account or how many people are involved in that now? I'm the worst at keeping the numbers. So apologies if this isn't entirely accurate, but it's in the range. We have over 20 plus dedicated full-time staff to this account. And then I can't even count maybe, I mean, add another 10 or 15 more partial resources that touch the business. It is one of the accounts that truly utilizes pretty much every service our agency offers. So that includes obviously editorial design, social performance marketing, paid media, print production. It it encompasses everything. That's insane. That's so cool. So going back, like rewinding like a decade plus, you studied journalism. And I I assume that's how you made the initial leap from trying to figure out like, how am I going to turn writing as a skill into a valuable career? Then what happened? It's interesting. So yes, I did study, and technically I studied print journalism, which even seems more archaic. But at the time at the University of Maryland, there were two tracks. There was print journalism or broadcast journalism. And at the time, I didn't have the confidence that I was too timid and too shy to feel like I wanted to be on camera all the time. Although now I'm on camera all the time. (laughs) Right. And I'm totally comfortable. So it's so funny that I was running away from being on camera and being present. And now I've had to become comfortable and even enjoy it to a, a great degree. So I chose print journalism, which meant obviously doing more with the written word versus other things. But I, I, but I really am grateful for that because it turned me into a really good writer and really understand storytelling, what makes for a good story, understanding audience, passion and needs and challenges. I started out really having a desire to work in music journalism. That was my hobby and interest at the time. So at one point, my entrepreneurial streak was that I had a, a a music blog. Oh, that's right. And that music blog was my side hustle at my previous job before I joined TMG. And that side hustle really taught me a lot about producing content, but also running a business. It never generated enough to obviously for me to quit and go full time, which I was like, I I think I reached a point where I I, I realized that that side hustle had given me what I needed and I could move on to the next phase of my career. Right. But that blog, you know, I got to be one of the first, I was one of the first to interview Bruno Mars and his, you know, I worked with his um, record label and I was invited to his first, uh, what they call his showcase performance in New York city. I had an early interview with Ed Sheeran at the time. These were like no way. Were people that I was like, I don't know. Like I was, I was bummed that I wasn't interviewing Justin Timberlake. You know, like, oh, I'm not interviewing right. like the big, the big dogs and I'm throwing me this Bruno Mars and this Ed Sheeran guy. But it was really cool because I got to help break and provide awareness and promote 
talent that people didn't know about. And that was really what I had wanted to do with a job at more traditional outlets like an MTV or a Vibe magazine or a Rolling Stone. But my trajectory shifted when I got my then girlfriend, now wife pregnant, had a child to feed, and I realized the music industry was decimated, as everybody probably knows, because of digital media and iTunes and iPod. And it's interesting. When you think about media, people didn't, I didn't know this at the time, but media really is, I'll say symbiotic. Some might say parasitic, but I'll say symbiotic with the industry that it covers. And so the health of that ecosystem really depends on the health of the industry. So with the music industry as a whole contracting, the media outlets that covered those industries had fewer and fewer resources. They were shrinking, they were collapsing, and the business models just weren't there to sustain it. So a lot of them were pivoting to more general entertainment sites, starting to pull in TV and movies, which still had fat budgets and had a lot of dollars. I landed into technology. I always liked technology. I mean, I was somebody who tinkered with websites, GeoCities. You know, my dad helped teach me how to assemble computers. Like I had a you know, when I went to college and you had the towers, I had one that my dad and I had custom put together. So I'd always had an affinity for technology, but I never thought of covering technology, but I fell into it. And that was that job that I had at TMG. And I remember thinking at the time, like, eh, I'll do this for a year or two and then I'll move on. Maybe my blog will take off and I'll like sell it to MTV or maybe I'll be acquired by AOL because at the time, you know, in this DC area, like AOL was the digital media giant. But after two years, I realized music industry and the music journalism just wasn't going to be a lucrative career path for me. And two, that I really liked the job that I was doing. I really liked what seemed like a dry topic, actually had a lot of interesting stories in it, and I started to really develop a passion for it. I also really liked the people that I worked with. I enjoyed the client. I enjoyed the challenge. I was finding success. And here I am, 10 years later, still there. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Was your music blog, did you monetize with... Ads? Yeah, but it's AdSense, which is pennies, you know? So it's like, yeah, yeah. Even if I had like a blockbuster month and I generated 100,000 pages in a month, which to me seems like a lot. A lot, yeah. It meant nothing. It meant like 200 bucks. <laughs> right, right. It's funny. I, you could imagine a version of that today that's published on Substack or it's a Patreon community or, you know, all that stuff has changed so much in the last 10 years. You go to TMG and take this job. I mean, I assume. You're walking into the situation where digital had not been a priority. Obviously, they're looking to change that. Were there elements of the of the work you've been doing on your side hustle that you were able to immediately bring over? Oh, God, yes. I mean, honestly, it was interesting. The initial thing that they wanted and I brought was, frankly, technical prowess. I don't know if you remember. Actually, you do remember this. The must-read.it blog list that you and I worked on for yeah. several years. I coded that by hand, by scratch. Like they didn't have people who knew HTML, web, CMSs. So a lot of my early years was just frankly utilizing the knowledge that I had on digital content and digital content systems. So that was the main thing that they needed. And the main thing that I brought to the table, I would say those first two years is just like helping them understand what good digital content looks like, how to build it, how to put it out into market, and then how to analyze its value. That was a lot of what the early years were. Right. You know, one thing that I always really appreciated about working with you was that you're always kind of pushing the envelope, like innovating. It was not always an easy environment to do that in. You know, like for example, 
just at a large company or especially in an agency where you're working on large accounts, it's, it's, you can't just say, Hey, let's try this thing. And tomorrow do it. You know, you have to scope it out. You have to pitch it to the client. You have to iterate. Like there's a lot of things that need to happen. And one of the things that, that I really appreciate about working with you is that you were not afraid of that process. I kind of shied away from like thinking, God, that's gonna be a lot of work to make this simple thing happen where, but you didn't do that. You know, like you would look at that must read it blog list. And just for context, like we maintained at the time, five sites, I think it's probably more now. A six plus a corporate blog. Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of stuff to manage. And you came up with this idea that we'll, every year we'll put together a list of the 50 best blogs in that in a certain industry. This became like a huge deal, you know, like we would work on this for months out of the year and it was extremely successful. I, I assume that when you initially brought that idea, it wasn't as simple as, hey, this would be nice let's do it. And a week later it's published, you know, I'm assuming it was rounds of pitching, iterating, testing, et cetera, to make that come to life. Well, one, thank you for making it. If I came off, like I wasn't scared, I absolutely was, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's interesting, right? Cause you were saying like, what are the things that I learned or brought from my blog to the agency environment? One of the things that I couldn't bring was a MacGyver style of like, I want to do this, therefore it's getting done. Because not only did I have internal people that I had to convince of whatever I wanted to do, we also have a client. And that was a completely new and different dynamic to have to, to deal with. But I've always kind of, I've always wondered, like in another life, I could have been a diplomat. And so I've always enjoyed the negotiation, the collaboration, the consensus building. And so I kind of just leaned into that. And I, once I understood what I had to do to get an idea through, I kind of just adopted that as my operating procedure and, and didn't let it be a barrier. And that, and that, but one of the things I did have to get comfortable with is the client saying no and being okay with no, because right. even if I did everything right, they're just not comfortable with it. They're not comfortable with it. And it's not happening in an agency world, as you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. It doesn't mean it's a bad idea. It just means that for whatever very specific set of constraints the client is working with, it's not going to happen. And to your earlier point, I mean, the Mustard IT blog list, I should give appropriate credit. The idea for that kind of list came from our boss, Andrew Hannerly. He had seen that done similarly somewhere else, and he wondered, he posed a challenge to me how would we make this work for our world? And so I took right. that idea and really fit it into our world. And then I started innovating on that over the years where like one year I introduced social voting. So like the nomination process became a piece of the content pipeline. So like now we weren't just producing this list, we were like opening a call for nominations, which generated a bunch of pages and a bunch of excitement. And then people wanted to be considered. And then from there, taking it from the consideration into building a, the final list. We've since that that brought its own set of challenges that we've since backtracked on. But I think another piece, like to your point about how I was able to push some of those innovations through was in the agency world, it's all on trust. And if your client trusts you, oh my gosh, you you can do so many great things. And building that relationship with the client where they feel safe with you and they feel comfortable with you is key to the success of the relationship and also you having any chance or shot of getting any new ideas or innovation through. That's so interesting. I love what you said about being a diplomat. The analogy that I used at animals was client relationships were like being the captain of a cruise ship. You have to get from point A to point B, but along the way, 
Like the kids are going to want to go on the water slide. The adults are want to gamble in the casino. You got to have a buffet meal three times a day. Like there's so many things that have to happen to get from point A to point B and have everyone happy along the way. Right. I'm curious though. The other thing that, that makes me think about is a lot of folks that I have talked to and just kind of observed is that people come into the content marketing world primarily as writers, and then they start building different skills and they layer those skills on. And then eventually they're, they're, they're not really writing very much, but they're very much working in content. And it, it sounds like, I mean, it, I know you and I are writing a ton yep. in 2012. I assume you're writing a lot less now, but yeah. still very much a, a content marketer. You're a hundred percent. I still, and honestly, I think this is, you know, you have to kind of know yourself as a person and what scratches your creative itch or not. I still do produce some content, but absolutely. I'm producing like a quarter of what I used to produce. And yeah, and it's that a lot of your, as you grow in your career, you're going to shift from producer to strategist or director. And so that means, and honestly, if you borrow analogies, if think about like a film director, the film director isn't necessarily writing the script. He's working with a script writer to shape the script in a way that he wants, he or she wants. So that way they get the film that they ultimately get to then direct and produce and pull together. So I view my role as having evolved from being, if you start with actor, screenwriter, to now being a director and really producer and helping other people and directing other people to accomplish a goal or produce a creative product that we are trying to produce. And it's a it's been a massive shift for me. I can write in my sleep. I like writing. I like interviewing. I like doing that stuff. It's a comfort spot for me. The stuff I've been doing in the last few years of like, not just content strategy, but program strategy, team strategy, business strategy. It's a whole different beast. And I've grown immensely in that regard, which is why I'm now pursuing an executive master's degree in EMBA, an executive master's in business administration, because for those of us who desire to be in a more corporate environment like I am in an agency, as you climb up to the top of the ladder, your value isn't necessarily so much in can I produce a good article, it's can I build a team, can I lead a team, can I run a business, and can I grow that business? And even in the creative roles, you have those responsibilities to be able to do those things because because that's what a business is. A business is there to make money, to grow, and to add value. And so even though I'm a creative, I don't just get to write doc drafts and like tell people, you know, that's not generating revenue for the company. They want to know how am I utilizing the creative resources I have? What am I doing to advance the, the business strategy? And how am I using creative to do that? The difference is, is like, I just have to use my skill set, which is content and creative to accomplish business goals, but I still have to accomplish business goals. That's so interesting. I certainly find myself occasionally missing just writing blog posts. It just, it's just so simple, you know, you come up with an idea, you write a blog post, you promote it, like build some links, hopefully check your analytics. Like that was so simple. And it's interesting that the path you've taken and I've seen other people do a similar thing where you, you start with this specialized skill and then the skills that you put on top of it are kind of general business skills. They're, they're sort of soft skills. And I read a very interesting article recently about, I think the title was something like the skills that got you here won't get you there. Yeah. The idea primarily being that like, if you're a content creator, that's going to take you to a certain point. But if you can't manage a team, if you can't contribute to the business strategy, if you can't hire and retain employees, if you can't do all of these kind of just general business things that are sometimes unsexy, but ridiculously important, then your career is not going to take that next step. Yeah. And 
And actually, you know, it's funny, the thing I'm doing even less of than writing, which I did a lot of in my early days is the coding, you know, like, I feel so out of touch because like HTML5 was like the last big horizon that I was like, wow, HTML5 is here. And I don't know what's happened since then. I don't know what, you know, coding and CSS version we're on, but I spent a lot of my early years really tinkering with web content and making it display the way that I wanted. But now we have developers who focus on that and, you know, I'm providing creative input and letting them worry about the tinkering in the building and, and all of that. So absolutely. You know, you came into this world at a kind of interesting time. You came into an agency that had existed for a long time, but was not digital first. And you got to make, you got to make a huge impression on the, on the business by like bringing this, this whole new world there. I wonder if say someone is 10 years earlier in their career, they might be feeling like, well, that stuff's already, it's normal. Now everybody does it. Like, is there a new frontier you think that folks should be looking at? Or is it just a matter of same deal, get in the door, start contributing, look for the opportunities and over time start layering those skills? I think it's the latter. I think honestly, while the challenges might be different and the pendulum swing from one into the other, it's really about getting in there, identifying the opportunities and, and getting your hands dirty. For example, when you and I started at the agency, it was all about content velocity. And it was like, how do we produce content at speed and at scale? We don't produce as much content. Surprisingly, even though the program has grown, we don't produce as much content as we used to because we're more concerned about quality over quantity. And so what that has meant now versus where we were then is... We're being very decisive and strategic about the content we produce and why we produce it and what results we want to get out of it. So to that point, like, yes, the landscape changed and it's going to change and it will always change. But what will not change is the need and the ability for people who can spot the trends, spot the opportunities, get in there, figure it out And win. I mean, it sounds very basic and simple. And I promise you, none of it was obvious. I fumbled my way through many things. I stumbled through this. I stumbled into this career. I didn't like you. I didn't know what content marketing was. I had a lot of hangups initially about even working in, like, I I remember resisting the label of content marketing because I I preferred custom publishing or brand journalism because it still had journalism or publishing in it. But now I'm I'm a content marketer. I'm a marketer. And I say that more than I say I'm a journalist because it's evolved so much that it's no longer a dirty word. It's a viable sub niche within the advertising and communications industry that people are latching onto. So I see, you know, again, it's something I didn't know. It wasn't a track I knew of. I, I stumbled into it. I landed at a job and I just took the job. And now I found this whole industry and all these opportunities. And now I'm learning more about corporate business strategy and account strategy, which again, or I was supposed to be at MTV. <laughs> here and here. Right. So, and that's interesting because like now you're pursuing an MBA. I mean, that's a significant investment in your own career. What do you have a vision for five years, 10 years down the road of, of where you hope to be? Or, I mean, obviously like, things change so quickly. Like, yeah. What I definitely know and what I hope is that I can continue to grow. I don't want to date myself, but I'm, you know, I'm an older millennial, right? So like you have roughly about 20 or so years if we go by like, Social Security Administration retirement age, right? Like I've got like 25 years, roughly, give or take, in my career. What do I want to do with the last 25 of my my career? And like, what does it take to get to the top of the C-suite and to 
run at that level. And I realized like, while I had a lot of the creative skills that I had acquired through the years, I was very much new to the business side of like what it means to manage a business, what success looks like, the metrics of success, how to motivate teams, how to manage teams, how to report to outside stakeholders who might be investing in your business. Like it was a whole different ball game. And so I realized, ah, okay, this is an area that I still have room to grow in. I could be fine in just continuing along in the way that I, I have been, but I wanted to have that more formal education and then that certification and validation of that kind of education. It also was a personal thing for me. Like I, when I went to school, I, I lacked a lot of confidence. And so I remember shutting myself out of going to the more competitive schools. And so this time I feel a lot more confident having, you know, run a successful career in digital marketing and knowing what I bring to the table. And so, you know, I applied to and was accepted to Georgetown. And so it's a big, for me, it's a big like, all right, like I'm good enough. I can be at this level. I can be here. And being able to go through that kind of program is a, it's a personal goal as well as a professional goal. That's awesome. I I think it's so cool. I mean, I think it's so cool that you built a successful career and then made a very deliberate choice to go do this. And I'm sure it will be challenging and there'll be sacrifices given that you've got a full-time job, you've got a family, like there's a lot of other stuff going on, you know, versus someone who finishes college, goes straight to an MBA, has no real world experience. You know, this is, this is a much more deliberate path. And that for me was a big factor in like, if if I had to give up my job, I wouldn't have gone back period. So like I'm doing an executive program, which allows me to still work and pursue my education because while I, I appreciate and I will value the education, I think the work experience that I've gained is far more valuable than if I had just gone straight to your point into an MBA because it's like, what the heck do you know? You've never worked. <laughs> That's so interesting. Can we talk about personal brand for a second? Sure. I don't think I have much of one. <laughs> Oh, see, that's interesting. I, I feel differently. I mean, when, it, like I mentioned earlier, Rictagious, like that's your, that is your online persona. That was another thing when we first started working together that I was really inspired by. I don't even know if I had a Twitter account. You had one, but it was not who the real Jimmy was. And I, even though, ironically, I think it was oh, called the real Jimmy Daly. I think that was- You're right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that was when, isn't that funny? That was a time when like, I wanted separate Twitter accounts, one for personal, one for professional. Yes, you were very much about the separation of church and state, personal, professional. Like you had a very strong code and boundary that you wanted to set. That feels outdated now. But I remember like discovering your Twitter, Rictagious, which people should go check out. And it was this blend of music and and tech and your own, just like whatever other personal interests. And I I thought that was so cool. And Actually, I also recall the whole company talking about the Rictagious persona because it was cool, you know, like it wasn't, it didn't have that kind of stodgy feel that a lot of kind of our, at least some of the customers we work with, you know, who who had been in this industry publishing magazines for 30 years. It just, it felt so new and different and cool. You know, I wonder how deliberate was that? Or was it just like, you thought it was interesting and cool, so you did it? Again, like a lot of it, I mean, what was deliberate was the name. And I remember thinking about the name and I was like, well, I don't want to just be like, I have some, a lot of my usernames are just like Ricky R83, year I was born. So it's like, I didn't want yeah, to be yeah. that boring. And I was like, and Twitter was like, it was definitely all about like a cool username. And I was like, man, what name 
what, what, what kind of name scheme do I want to adopt? And I was thinking, of course, again, music. I'm like, oh, well, let me think of some of my favorite music. Let me think about musicians. How do musicians come up with names? Like if I was an artist, how would I come up with my name? I leaned on Ludacris as the example. His real name is Chris Bridges, but he took an adjective, which is Ludacris, and married it with his name and came up with Ludacris. And so I kind of followed a similar construct of Rictagious. And by the way, it always, it's always interesting. I didn't think of this at the time, but it causes a lot of confusion. It's Rictagious as in contagious, not outrageous. So I'm not trying to... No, that's a good... Yeah, yeah I'm not trying to be outrageous, although I guess in a way, the reason I picked Contagious is like, my content is so sick, you'll... Get, you know what I'm saying? Like that kind of... Yeah, yeah. What I was trying to play. And also with viral, things going viral, that was why I picked Contagious. Like, my content is so good, you'll get sick and it'll be viral. So... <laughs> that's awesome. Very cheesy. When I say it out loud, that was the thought process at the time. And to your point, one thing about me that I I, I do think has been consistent is I try to be true and authentic to myself. Like I always resisted the urge to have, you know, separate accounts. I even have one phone. I refuse to have a business phone and a personal phone because I'm like, I'm not taking the extra maintenance of maintaining a work number and a personal number when at the end of the day, I'm me. You're reaching the same person, you know, (laughs) you're reaching the same person. And so I, I personally, I opted, you know, as far as my personal brand to be my authentic self, try to relate it to work, but not only make it about work, because at the end of the day, I'm a human being. And maybe some of my interests that don't have to do with work might be something we can connect on. So, yeah, I mean, but I will say, like, in terms of my personal brand, I have been feeling guilty that I haven't worked on it because I think a good, effective personal brand requires work, meaning you have a goal, you have a strategy, just like you would for anything for your client. And at times, like I had a medium blog that I was maintaining, but I, that since has fallen off. And, you know, I don't, I don't even tweet as much, you know, unless I'm promoting content that our team is producing. And a lot of my engagement also used to come when I used to travel for work and I haven't traveled for five months. So I feel like my personal brand is like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll pick it back up. Do, do you feel that it's been an asset to you in your career? I hope so. Like you said, you know, I've gotten a lot of compliments and people enjoy following me. They enjoy like I, I, with the client in particular, it's been interesting because like once the client finds out that I have that social media account, they start following me. And then when I see them or when I get on calls, they'll bring up whatever I've tweeted and or, or again, it just helps grease the the personal connection engine that is required in in a client agency relationship. So and it definitely has helped with, you know, when I do reporting and sourcing. I continue to do outreach on Twitter, you know? So like if I've got an event or if I have somebody I'm trying to reach out to, I utilize that. So it remains useful and I like it. That's awesome. My my experience with personal brands is that I lean into it when I am sort of seeking something else. Like if the job I was at is not everything I hoped it would be, I have more headspace to go pursue that. And then if work is going well and I'm super busy and feeling fulfilled there, then I, then I let it fall by the wayside for a while. I think that's where I am. <laughs> <laughs> so that in a way it's a good thing well cool well rick i want to be respectful of your time i really appreciate it it's good to catch up but i just appreciate you like sharing the, your own story any other final thoughts you would like to leave for the listener who's who's probably someone earlier in their career and trying to figure out some of the things that you have already figured out well actually i know this is about me but i, I to put the spotlight back on you i think one of the lessons that anybody who wants to get into content marketing or digital marketing should be aware of is the hustle that comes with it. And Jimmy Daly was one of our agency's content hustlers. There's even a music video to boot. I don't know if that's... Oh God. Oh, I hope that's not public. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's right. But I mean, hustle, it sounds really cliched and it, and it, trust me, I've worked at startups and I know that that sounds like, you know, the whole, like, just work hard and, you know, sweat it out and you'll make it. I'm not saying that, but the truth is a lot of what we're doing, there isn't a playbook for, or the playbooks that exist are no longer relevant. So don't wait for a best practice. Don't wait for somebody to tell you how to do it. If you have an idea, if you have a good hunch and you have a strategy, try it out. The worst thing that can happen is you fail. And if you fail, cool, learn the lessons and start your next thing. But that iterative cycle of idea, hypothesis, product, results, you got to constantly go through that and be willing to go through that. And you might not hit it on your first time. You might not hit it on your second time. But if you're continuously in motion, if you're hustling, if you're moving, if you're making progress, I think, I mean, it's worked out for me so far. Eventually you'll, you'll find your way. Yeah. That's awesome. I love it. That feels like a good place to put a bow on it. People should definitely obviously go check out Rick Tagus on Twitter. He's a great follow. I appreciate your time, Rick. We have to do this again soon. We can't, we can't let five more years go by. Well, hopefully you return back to the old line state and get some crab in Maryland and we can meet up again. When we can travel again, I would love to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, Rick. Talk to you soon. Bye.